Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, the future of sex and popular things we have no interest in. We will, and we do, and we are falling in love with machines. There is the potential to create a better world, but there's also many dangers, uh, or haptics or other things where we can start to see that. But essentially, these avatar-based um, sex worlds will be very hard to distinguish visually from uh, you know, reality in the, in the quite you know, not-too-distant future. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, subscribe, leave us a rating or review. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. If you're a new listener, welcome to the show. If you're a longtime listener, thank you so much for all of your support. So I want to get right to our first guest. This is sex futurist Ross Dawson. When we think about the future of sex, like what does that look like? Well, sex is central to what it is to be human. That it's, it's central to who we are. And a lot of it is about our relationship. So there's so many aspects to what the future of sex could be. One, one is this idea of remote sex. Well, we're not in the same location, but we still want to give pleasure to each other. And so there's a whole array of tools. Uh, some of these have been described as teledildonics. There's also virtual worlds where we can have avatars and you know, represent ourselves or play in virtual spaces. There's also the idea of, of course, robots. And you know, this is something we've seen in plenty in science fiction of various guises. But this is actually becoming very much to, into the present, where part of our sexuality is, is that we engage with people. And so now we have emotional companions uh, based on AI, which are proving you know, that we will and we do and we are falling in love with machines. And so part of it is, okay, well, how do we move from this chatting with something on a phone, for example, to, you know, I suppose, conversation or engagement or visual or, or physical aspects of that, <clears throat> and that's all unfolding. And, you know, there's a whole array of other possibilities, which includes, of course, ways of stimulating our brains directly to give each other's pleasure, to be able to uh, use, you know, haptic devices, things which can augment who we are. So these are, and, and actually the other point around the future of sex is it's not just about the technology. You know, we are changing our attitudes to sexuality and if, you know it's from any number of measures there's obviously a whole lot of uh people are more open about different genders uh, people are more open about non-monogamy people are more open about uh you know kink which used to be very kinky and now is more normal and so there's a lot of uh, unfolding sexual uh, sorry social changes so there are technology changes there are social changes and so sex is has been is and always will be central to what it is to be human. And there's many facets of that are unfolding. And part of the same, what's the potential? How can we express ourselves more? How can we discover more of who we are? Because our sexuality is so unique to us as individuals. And I think a lot of the future and what we hope the future are is that we can express and expand our sexual identity and expression. If you were kind of going to look at all of these things combined, right, when we kind of look at the future of sex, are we 
coming up to like big fundamental changes that will kind of fundamentally change the way we look at things? Or is this kind of just going to be adding to and augmenting the things that we already do? Well, my opinion is that it is fundamentally changing because we will be, well, we already are, falling in love with non-humans, you know, in this case, AI. And so that changes the nature of our relationship. One very simple question which often comes up is, if you have sex with a robot, is that cheating? Or if you're having a conversation, an intimate conversation with a app, uh, is that cheating? And what is cheating anyway? And, and so these, these are, impact our relationships, at, which are at our core. And of course, this should always be all about supplementing, contributing, and supporting, not replacing. You know, we don't want a world where everyone says, oh, these robots are so much better than humans. They're easier, they're easier to deal with. They don't talk back, whatever. It's, uh, that's not a good world. Could we create, accidentally create a world where like all you're doing is having sex with robots and talking to fictional things and there's no kind of need for human interaction with other people whatsoever? There is the potential to create a better world, but there's also many dangers. And there are absolutely dangers that people start to say, this is easier. I prefer this. People will use these in positive ways to, for example, say, oh, well, I will discover in very safe environments, something which is, you know, how I feel, you know, different aspects of myself and my sexuality, how I express it, which I can bring to then to my human relationships. But, you know, and I do respect those people who are, who, who say, you know, the, the idea of robot sex is, you know, not good, don't like it, we, we shouldn't have that at all. But I don't think it's also something which we will or even, you know, should sort of say, draw the line and turn away from this. This is, these are possibilities. We need to explore them and we need to explore them with a view to making them positive. When we look at kind of the things that you think that, okay, this will have, these will have big impacts on the future of sex. Which aspects of those, like what things are kind of here right now that are already starting that ball rolling, so to speak? So the, right now, in, t in terms of this engagement, it is these emotional companion apps. And we've seen many people who basically are falling in love with their AI girlfriends or boyfriends. So there's actually an app in China which has 600 million users uh, for their AI companions and uh, they're gaining traction in various ways here as well. And these are very, very good. One of the great things that AI can do is it understands what people respond to and we are our technology already is at a level where we you know ai can readily make <clears throat> us fall in love with it and so you know we do need to be somewhat amenable to it i have actually i've seen some really interesting things from people who can describe themselves you know, okay i'm just trying to work out this technology and working out and then they've end up being emotionally engaged, surprising themselves from it. It's something which we can do. <coughs> so we're already there. And just in some of the other dimensions, uh, in terms of remote sex, that's already happening. People already have, you know, sometimes quite simple or sometimes a little bit more uh, technologically advanced ways of being able to, if their companion happens to be uh, on an oil rig or on a business trip or whatever, that you can actually still give each other pleasure at a distance uh, <coughs> using, you know, what are now quite uh, well-developed technologies.
That's basically the idea like, okay, somebody can use like a vibrator or a toy like that and like I can control it from where I am and we can do that kind of stuff. Like that stuff doesn't seem like huge jumps from me. Where do we kind of get to like, okay, the big question about robots or creating fake body parts or 3D printing somebody's whatever and do that? Like, do you think that that is coming up pretty quick or is that pretty far down the line? There's a whole array of different technologies. Some of them are quite uh, soon. Some of them are further down the track. I mean, so one thing which I think is interesting is using augmented reality to change how your partner looks. So you could, you know, with permission of your partner, basically have some uh, augmented reality glasses and make them look like uh, Brad Pitt or Jennifer Aniston or whoever you, whoever you want. Whoever you pick, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully with the permission of the celebrities as well as your partner. And so the, these are things where, you know, obviously it feels a bit clunky with the current generation uh, augmented reality glasses, but, you know, and, you need obviously IP rights and whatever, but you know essentially that's that's quite uh, possible now. In terms of um, things which which are genetic modifications, <coughs> these are these are certainly further out. You know the sort of biohacking movements where you can uh, you know change your bodies significantly. This is something which is uh, probably far fewer people are interested in, is, and it is further out and being able to to do these kinds of things. But many more of these technologies are, are getting closer. And <clears throat> part of the next phase is in terms of, for example, the remote sex or avatar virtual sex is haptics. And then so haptics refers to the sense of touch, essentially body suits where you can actually feel things uh, at a distance. And so current technologies, you know, again, quite a lot of this technology has been undeveloped for some time. And these are things which are a little way off, sort of not, the next year or two, but we'll have consumer devices where you can put on suits and when somebody can reach out and touch you at a distance and you can feel it. Is this going to be weird for us though, right? Like what's going to be, in your opinion, the bigger adjustment, the technology or kind of the social adjustment? People adjust to technology extraordinarily quickly. I think one one of the most amazing things about humans is how adaptable we are. You know, things seem like magic. And then the day after it's there, it's like, oh, it's old hat. When we bring in sex in the equation, a lot of things to some people start to feel weird. So <clears throat> I think that a lot of people, a lot of things which I've said already, a lot of people say, wow, that's really weird or wacky or whatever. And I think some of those feelings will still remain. I mean, so for example, I, I think the idea of robot sex is quite a long way off. And I still think that's a long way even past where it's normal and seems to be very, very similar to a human. But people will still say that is really, you know, not something I would ever consider doing or, or really weird. Uh, but it also at the same time will grow in social acceptance. The only thing I could comp- possibly compare it to is the idea is like when texting first got, became a big thing. It's like, why would you ever text anybody? You would just call them. And now it's the exact opposite. Like, why would you ever call anybody? Just text them. Like, we do adapt to society very quickly. So, like, when we talk about, say, virtual sex, where do you think that we're headed in the realm of virtual sex? This is where the technology can move very fast. So, more broadly, I think that we will move into avatar-based worlds. So, Meta 
and its office environments is proposing that we will have avatars of ourselves and that we will you know interact in office environments as uh, as avatars and so this is something where <clears throat> this is on the verge of <clears throat> being being accessible to everyone already you know I've had for you know at least a dozen years virtual sex worlds which is relatively advanced uh, in fact you know one of the first uses of second life which i think was launched in 2006 was uh you know playing in various ways in the, in these spaces so now the technologies really are strong we have some good glasses we have good avatar representations um you know you can also just do it on a screen and this is already very very advanced and we'll push that further and part of then the next uh phase for that is to add physical interfaces to that which as i say can be vibrators or uh or haptics or other things where we can start to see that but essentially these avatar based um sex worlds will be very hard to distinguish visually from uh you know reality in the, in the quite you know not too distant future technology is advancing very fast on that front is, is there any way in that kind of regard that like we're messing with something maybe that we shouldn't be messing with right because i think that other things you know holding virtual meetings with coworkers that's one thing but i do feel like you know when we talk about sex like we're messing with parts of our brains and our innate kind of personality that like we are geared to this and we're not really great at controlling it can we bite off a lot more than we can chew in this regard well to a point we don't know but i don't think we should be saying we we don't explore there and we can't find out whether these are right or wrong until we we get there and as a, you know i talked before this idea of expanding our sexuality and so, so you you can you know there are people who with their partners go into virtual sex wells to say well okay when we're in the bedroom together we might be doing one thing but we can actually see how we behave in these virtual sex worlds. It actually means, well, here are some things which we could be bringing back into the real world. And, you know, this is ways where we can, in a safer space, explore possibilities. Yeah, as, as I said earlier, you know, there, there are potential dangers. We have to recognize dangers of um, how we express ourselves or where we go but i think these are not problems of the technologies these are things which we need to be aware of in ourselves you know we still need to explore the scope of who we are i mean we usually don't get into this this quite this quickly but i think a lot of the questions that i was going to ask you kind of center around some of our listener submitted questions so are you ready for some harder slash listener submitted questions sure who do you think is more affected by this men or women I don't think this is winners or losers. Uh, it's men have less choice, I suppose. And so, you know, there's the classic thing that you have the substitute. So you're looking for these kinds of technologies as substitutes for having a, a real relationship. I think probably many women would argue the same thing. They find it very difficult to get that, the right man. And, you know, there's different... Now, and, you know, there's also different relationships between the emotion and the physicality. You know, classically, we have seen, of course, far more of the love robots or ones which are early on now are, are women with four men. 
there are there are some uh, being launched now which are men uh, male sex robots for women and i think that it's and it's interesting to see that de- the you know there's still a relatively high de- proportion of uh pornography viewing is by women and i think you know there's more of the a, a lot of this work a lot of this engagement and i think with a lot of these technologies will still be by women it's not just uh male centered the, you know, the thing I think we always see these trends, right? Is that like, I think I saw something the other day that something like 60% of men of a certain age had not had sex with a woman. And then a lot of times, you know, it's not as much that people are kind of going through the traditional lifestyle of get married, have a kid, that kind of stuff. Do you think that this would exacerbate those kind of things or just kind of, no, we would change, we would adapt? I think that... For those who feel sex deprived, it's a boon. And as long as it doesn't become a substitute saying, all right, well, you never have sex with a woman, but in the meantime, until I meet the right woman or whatever, that I've got something which, uh, you know, makes me feel, gives me pleasure and makes me feel better and makes me feel engaged. And I think that's a a positive. So if there is a deficit, and there is a lot of sexual deficit in the world, then I think that's a boon. This question just says, is this going to get really weird? In a way, it already is weird. And I think it is going to get more weird in many views. But at the same time, we're going to start to think what we used to feel weird starts to feel normal. When you look at it, when you look at the technology that's coming down, which one of those things would you say, okay, this is the big one. This is the one that will really change how we look at sex. Well, it is, in fact, in the emotional AI and I think you know, that's a really very, I have a very strong focus on that at the moment because we've just reached the, the threshold. You know, and I've, I've said for a long time, we will fall in love with robots. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's been obvi- obvious to me for a long time. Now that's happening. And that um, has many positives, potential positives, and also has many, many dangers. And if we, you know, is that this, recent event in San Francisco where people were talking about the dangers of AI. And uh, I think it was Jerry Kaplan who was saying that his, I called it uh, emotional pornography, I think, uh, where essentially you people just get sucked into falling in love with machines because machines is just so good at that, that we, we start to uh, lose ourselves and get, you know, find this a a better substitute, you know, better than than human relationships. So that I think is, there are are positives, there are real, you know, I think there's a lot of potential upsides, there's a lot of potential downsides. And that really is the big thing for me, because that is the heart of who we are, our emotions. And if we start to become emotionally engaged with the AI and AI, and, and God forbid that, you know, these emotional AI companions start to inject, uh, messaging, to influence us, then uh, that's not good. So we do need to be very careful as well who, uh, you know, who runs these algorithms. Yeah, that's a real danger about that, right? Like we fall in love with Stacy the AI robot, and then Stacy starts pushing Amazon products all of a sudden. Yeah, like that gets really. It seems like a thing that could get really complicated. Yeah. Uh, if you were to kind of feet to the fire, right? And we're recording this January 2024. If you were feet to the fire, what year would you say, all right, this is when 
if we jumped in a time machine, now things would look unrecognizable to us in 2024. 30 years. I mean, 25 to 30 years, if you really think about the, what the technology is required for that, um, you know, maybe we'll see some acceleration of robotics. But, you know, this is, a, this is quite a long haul. What is your most controversial opinion in the sense that, like, you're just with your futurist buddies talking stuff over with some drinks? Like, what opinion would you say, like, you know what, though, but this one? Well... I, well, the first thing that springs to mind, I don't know how controversial it is, is that humanity is going to fork into two. Some people will choose to augment themselves. So they'll have brain implants, they'll have cyborgs, you know, limbs, they'll, uh, you know, essentially become more than human using a whole array of technologies. And there's a whole bunch of other people who will just say, no, I'm not going to do that. So eventually the human race is going to fork into two. Well, actually not more than two because... People augment themselves in a whole array of different ways, but either be augmented or unaugmented. And so your choice. Do you think that it will change very significantly? Or do you think like, you know what, we have all these things, but it'll still look a lot like today. I see that the pace of change is accelerating. And for a long time, I've said, you know, ultimately anything you ask about the future is saying, what is the future of humanity? Who are we becoming? And we are becoming very different because we can change ourselves. We can change our biology. This is not just about you know, prostheses or things. We can, we can now uh, edit our DNA. Our DNA. And you know, not just of those of our children, but of ourselves as we are living. And you know, we'll make ethical choices you know, and regulations and circumvent those regulations around how we use these technologies. But we can literally change who we are. We can change our DNA. We can change our bodies. We can augment our minds. And that means that some aspects of what it is to be human, you know, this idea of transhuman, what does transhuman mean in 100 years from now? I think that's completely unrecognizable today. This one's kind of interesting along those lines. And they just simply ask, is this the first frontier or the last frontier for us? This is the threshold. This is the pivot point in humanity. I think the early 20s, early 2020s is when, you know, we have the CRISPR technologies for DNA editing. AI is finally reaching a stage where it is a peer to us in various guises. And we'll see where that goes. And we have a whole, you know, the robotics is reaching a certain threshold. So this is, you know, we're beginning to, properly move into space exploration. So this is the threshold. I think, you know, we can, I, th I think that in a hundred or hopefully a thousand years from now, we'll look back to just right around now was when we had the pre-human history and then when we have become moved into an entirely different phase. So you can imagine, you know, as a, as a futurist, I think there's a pretty exciting times. So that's, that's really the scope of what uh, I believe we're going through now. If you had to put your money on it, do you think we fully embrace it or fully reject it? Both. So just point, point in case right now, we have in the AI uh, discussion, we have now what are called the effective accelerationists on one high level of the spectrum. The other is the what are described variously as the AI doomers or the decel or decelerationists. And so the 
the effective accelerations basically say we need to go as fast as possible with absolutely no restrictions on anything. We've got to go as fast as possible. And the other inspection people saying, "Hey, hold on, <laughs> let's let's uh, let's uh, let's uh, hold our horses a little bit now because uh, we're not quite sure where we're going into." And that's the spectrum now, and that's going to continue to be the case. We're going to continue to have this divide, and it's as as big a divide as the, any political divide you can imagine. So we, as society is divided now between those people who say, "Hey, let's go, 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 go," and there's a whole bunch of people saying stop get me off and that's society it's both of us that's that's uh both facets of that are fully expressed in society and will continue to be so we control our evolution now it's no longer just you know darwinian evolution you know accidents of mating and you know who has the most babies whatever it's we are choosing to evolve and we better damn well make the right choices. That's kind of leads us into one of the questions that we got was prediction you were a hundred like prediction you were most right about, prediction you were most wrong about. Well the prediction I was most right about, well the most the one I most recognized for is the the rise of social networks. So I wrote my book Living Networks in two thousand and two, which is before any of today's social networks existed. And yeah, it was entirely obvious to me that we were going to have our whole world of social networks and social media and it hadn't yet happened. Um, and the, the one which I'm, I'm most panned about is, uh, is the death of newspapers. So I predicted, so back in 2012, whatever it was, I think I, I don't remember the numbers. I said something like uh, that newspapers would not be significant in, I had a year for every year in the world, a country in the world. I think US was 2022. And so newspapers still significant, uh, well, news on paper. Um, well, a lot of people say, yeah, there's lots of newspapers still around. Uh, so that was wrong, but I don't know how far off, actually. Yeah, like, I'm. so I'm a former journalist, and I kind of feel like, like, wait a minute, you were wrong about that? I kind of feel like you were right, well, <laughs> to I, be I honest with got, you. I certainly got well, well panned for that one. Do you, when you look at kind of social media and things like that right now, where do you think that that goes? There's a lot of directions for that. I mean, one, one is uh, through attention span. Obviously, you know, the shorter, shorter sound bite, the video, the, you know, the, the constant, constantly on. Um, and, but part of it is also the, the richer engagement where we start to share, uh, well, potentially even thoughts. So we can have our thought devices uh, being able to share and to be able to start to share aspects of what we see, how we see it, uh, how we're thinking. Um, and, but I mean, I think in the shorter term, a lot of the interesting thing is actually what happens with the social media giants, as in Meta and X and so on, is to whether they are transcended and by what. And I think that, you know, a lot of that is currently happening already with that very short time slice type content. But uh, I hope that there is a shift where we start to see that far more of the control of our own data, essentially, 
uh, starts to we start to see some of the networks, federated social networks, and so on, which start to give us more choice and where we can choose to engage on our own terms. What do you think of TikTok? Because that was the one that like, okay, some of these other social medias that popped up, it was kind of the same thing. But that was the one that I felt like, oh, this, there's something about this that is different. What do you think about it? Yeah, well, it's, well, that's the short attention span thing. Short, video, quick, punchy. And so that's in, in a time of, uh, you know, shorter attention spans and engaging content, that's kind of one out. So, you know, this is a kind of Darwinian battle where you have all the social media uh, networks and whatever sort of starts to grab people's attention and younger people's attention. TikTok's one out on that uh, as to whether something which transcends TikTok in terms of being even shorter and faster and, and bitier, uh, we'll, we'll yet see. Because essentially, as, as soon as anything's ever happened, people have copied it and pushed it up one. And TikTok has been that. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure how much, how much uh, shorter we can get in terms of attention span stuff, but uh, that's that's really TikTok has taken the vanguard because of that. That's that's the world we live in. Some of the other listeners submitted questions that we had. What when you look at kind of movies and TV shows, like which one do you think shows the best representation of what you think the future would be? Or one one is Her, the movie Her, which is I think that brilliant movie and that it was so spot on and building up that emotional companion. But the other thing which was I loved about that movie was the cars looked the same, the streets looked the same. It was kind of like we're in the future, but it's it, the, the, the what's changed is the way which we interact, not the symbols. So if you go back to look at the uh, 1950s and their predictions of the cars of the future, they were like 1950s cars, sort of just bigger and more streamlined and so on. They, they, they didn't, weren't able to envisage that things were, were actually uh, going to become completely different. You can tell that they were 50s cars, even though they're supposed to be from the future. And so I think, you know, Harris actually was great, not just in just this spot on depiction of the emotional companion and how that could work, but also around this fact that you know, the physical nature of the world doesn't necessarily become all, you know, minority report. I want to thank Ross so much for joining us. If you want to connect with him, we have linked to him on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. And we've also included his information in the episode description. He has a lot of more information on his website and also a podcast of his own that I think is really interesting and a great look at the new technology and the new trends that may be affecting us in the future. And if you want to see more of this interview, the YouTube version of this interview will be live on January 11th at 12.30 p.m. Pacific. Okay, now let's bring in John Shaw and get to the pointless part of the show. Would you have sex with a robot? Um... I mean, there's going to have to be some determining factors in the, the way that I answer that question. Um, am I with somebody? You're by yourself. You just have opportunity to have sex with a robot that has all of the requirements and the things that you would need, but you know that it's a robot. I don't even want to ask this question, but I'm going to. Uh, are they going to talk to me at all? Only if you want them to. It's a robot. You can program it to do whatever you want. 
Am I a lonely old man or am I a thriving 20-year-old? I don't really think that your age matters necessarily. I don't think it matters how much you're getting. There's still a possibility that you might hook up with a sex robot. I'm going to say that you are in the current situation that you are in now. You are a married man in your mid-30s. My heart wants to say yes, uh, but I will say I'll, I will say no if that's the case. Now, if I'm not married, if I'm single um, or even recently divorced or something, sure, then I then I would <laughs> I would probably say I'll give it a whirl. But I don't think don't think it would be enjoyable. I just I can't see a robot being enjoyable. I don't know if I would do it or if I wouldn't do it. I really don't know what I would do. I think that I I think that I would at least I don't know. Because to me it's like, look, man, sometimes you'll see like anime or sometimes you'll see some pictures of like cartoons and be like, oh, that's yeah, well, hey, that's cool. But I'm not gonna do it to that. Like there has to be an aspect of humanity in it for me. Uh I mean I don't really necessarily care about the the human part, like the humanity part of it. Um but it probably, like, it would have to be literally a woman, or, you know, for me, it would have to be a woman, like, 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 the, like I would have to know it's a woman, like, there would be no robot showing or anything, you know what I mean? Like, as soon as I started oh, thinking you... that it was a robot, or, like, if I saw, like, a piece of metal expo- exposed somewhere, uh, then I'd be like, oh, shit, what am I doing with my life? I could, man, you'd have to completely buy into it. And I'd probably have to be inebriated or extremely high, um, knowing that like this is <laughs> this is where I've gotten to. And listen, if any of you out there have sex with robots or whatever, you know, good for you. But uh, I don't think I could do it. If this becomes completely like popular, though, like completely accepted, do you think they could, could take over society? Like, would young John be like, well, why would I need to get in a real relationship when I can just have this robot? So that's how the human race uh, gets eliminated, isn't it? Is people just stop having sex with each other and they start having sex with robots because robots can basically do what you need them to do and then they don't want to stick around, right? You can throw them in the, in the closet, so to speak. You know, they, you don't have to cook them dinner. You don't have to worry about paying for anything. It's essentially like a lady of the night. It's essentially a sex worker that you don't really have to do anything besides put some oil in it. Oh, uh, that would, uh, <laughs> what would those even run on sex robots? Like for real, like battery power, like- man. That's really what thing is that I'm slightly surprised of is that the very first kind of robot we didn't design was a sex robot. If you were trying to make business out of robotics and you wanted to make money as a robot person, you would think the very first thing that you're like, we can design this. Like, no, man, make a sex robot. Everybody's going to do that. That's the best money maker. They have some kind of robots. I wouldn't call them robots, right? They're toys, right? Like the, the fleshlight, and I believe it's there's even a, like a there's a bottom half of a woman that you can buy. Probably men too at this point. Um, but for, can you buy fleshlights of men's buttholes? Can you get <laughs> right? Like, because you can get a fleshlight of like a popular porn star's genitalia. Can you get like a fleshlight of like a popular man's butt? That's a gr- you get Brad Pitt's butt. <laughs> that, <laughs> that's a great question, like or a great thought. Could you imagine having your, you know, penis just 
molded and sold a hundred thousand of them to random women to have you know pleasure themselves with like 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 what we had a sex toy designer on here a long time ago he said that apparently that like women want really much smaller things than men think that they do like they don't want the big old honker they want a little john you think they have like a micro penis one? Oh, i don't know I mean, there's got to be. Look, man. It doesn't just like. There is a around. shape for every size, right? Like a little, <laughs> like a little one incher. Just like, no, I want the micro penis. Maybe. I'm sure. Why not, man? Whatever you get down with. That's how you get down. You like, <laughs> I mean, the, you like the half incher? Go for it. Maybe that's I'm what not, somebody wants. Not hating on it. I just don't know how it's pleasurable. Uh, anyways, getting back on topic. How would you feel if you were the model? If you were the model for the micro penis? How would you feel if they were like, John, we need to make a micro penis model, and we heard that you're the guy? Like, would you be proud? Would you be like, who's the model for this best selling micro penis? Like, John Schull. I think, I, I think what would be worse is like they have auditions, right? To be molded, but you don't know like what size you're for, and you get a call. And you're like, oh, yeah, you're all excited. And they go, well, actually, uh, we're really excited. But the mold that we're going to fit you for, uh, you classify, you'll be the micro penis. <laughs> you're like, oh, we were looking for a deformed one. And, like, you're the model for that because yours, like, hooks 90 degrees to the right. <laughs> if you, I don't That would be incredible. Like, you show up and, like, yeah, yeah, we, we, you were selected. Most I, disappointing I, penis. Like, ah. I mean, I don't really want to know, but I am kind of interested uh, now as we discuss this strange topic. Like, how many people actually use, like, the the fake vaginas or the, you know, the fake penises? Like, but but not, like, just the toys. I mean, like, the the ones that are, are supposed to emulate actual body parts um, in terms of, like, there might be some hips with it or, you know, maybe some legs. Oh, that's not a huge number. The online revenue of Fleshlight.com amounted to seventy-two point three million in twenty twenty-two. So that's not I mean, that's not crazy, right? Like that's not who a okay. huge amount. Another website says four million have been sold. That's from two thousand eleven. So that's pretty old. And then in two thousand seventeen, they said they sold four hundred thousand a year. That's a lot of fleshlights, man. Yeah, like, but like if you take that across the population of the world, right? Like selling 400,000 in a world population of 8 billion, that's not a lot. So it's like I would say that that's not common but not uncommon. Like they're not selling a lot, but they still sell a lot. <laughs> I want to know if anyone out there that listens to this and you're a I don't know, what, a construction worker, cop, firefighter, have you ever been in a situation where you're you're going to do something and you just come across a random flashlight? Like, oh, we gotta go arrest this guy. And you just walk in and there's just like six flashlights all laying around. Like, man, <laughs> I don't think I know somebody that has one that has. I know two people that have one actually. Now that I think about it, I don't think that you can you cannot own more than two of those. You can do whatever you want. However, you get down is however you get down. But you cannot own more than two of them. You can't. I mean, listen, right? I'm laughing. I'm laughing um, because it is kind of an uncomfortable, comfortable topic to talk about. Uh, I, yeah, I don't. Want, I mean, if that's how you get down, great. 
But with what you just said, I, I would like to know, are, are the dishwashers safe? Like, how do you clean them? Uh, you have to wash them out. You got to wash them out. Right? <laughs> like, do you just rinse them in the sink where you that. brush your teeth and shit? Like, ugh. anyway. That would be so strange for a child to find. Like, what's this? You got to hide that sucker, right? Like, you got to have a gun safe, and then you got to have another safe. Like, that needs to be hidden away. Anyways, All right, I feel uh, like we should, we should, we should go. Yeah. We should Anyways, that. yes. Ultimately, I would uh, have sex with a robot if it came down to it. How about you? I think that I probably would, but it would it would take it would take a while. I'm not going to be the first in line. Can you okay. imagine, like in in 20 years, like the big Christmas presents for adults are like. You know, generation six of, you know, Layla. <laughs> There's just a line outside of it like a store. Where are you getting it? Like, right? Now you got to have that shipped to your house and everybody damn well knows what it is. <laughs> right? Imagine the UPS person is just like, ah, oh, man, this guy bought another one. <laughs> right? They know what it is. All right. Uh, let's give some sh- let's give some shout outs here. Uh, Ace Gannon. What do you think about the first name of Ace? I'm sure that's not their real name, but uh, it could be. You need to be some sort of pilot or a real estate agent to have a name like that. Here's a, uh, a, a secondary question to what you just said. Uh, do you think fighter pilots? Uh, fuck it. I'm going to say pilots in general. Do they have to have a leather jacket? They need to own one somewhere. They don't have to wear it necessarily, but it needs to be in their. It needs to be in the wardrobe at some point. You have to have a leather jacket. <laughs> All right, uh, Cole Iverson, uh, Gabriel Royblatt, Stefano Fator, Delaney Morrison, Kimber P. Kimber is another name that's a little little different. Uh, Daniel Seljom, Casey Williams, Thomas Guerrero, Jackson Rowe. And we will end on Ethan Lycon and Logan Thompson, who uh, Logan Thompson's uh, handle is CEO of Stupidity, which kind of goes along with Profoundly Pointless to a certain degree. So, so does that mean that he's like the stupidest person or he's just in charge of the stupid people? Well, apparently he's a guitarist uh, of a band. I don't know how big they are, but uh, so he can't be, you know, he can't be that dumb, I don't think. I'm probably not dumb at all, so. So he's just in charge of the stupid people. Okay, well that's fine. Somebody's got to do it. This is a great. This is a great debate, I think, and we don't have to have it. But I'm going to say what I what I feel is that yes, the lead singers technically they get the the most limelight, right? They get the attention. But when you get down to actual music, creating it, doing it, I feel like the lead guitarist is the real leader of the band. And I say that I'm probably completely wrong. But I could probably point out five or six examples to back my point. I think whoever is in charge of kind of the beat, whoever is making the beat behind the lyrics, that's probably the most important person. Because you can kind of get, the lyrics don't matter that much. I mean, sometimes they do. They can set the tone for the song. They can match the song. But I think that whoever's kind of putting the beat together is the most important person. I mean, it's hard to argue that. Uh, how about we just end it like this? We'll say every band member is important, except for the bassist. No, you can, a bassist can be anybody. Yeah. Or the person like hitting the triangle. <laughs> like, what's your job? I'm just the cowbell guy. Like, you're not, we don't need you that much. 
I always wonder that, like, when you go see live music and there's, like, the guy that, you know, has the keyboard where he just hits the same key for one song and then he stands up three songs later and hits the triangle. Like, does he actually get paid a good amount? Like, does he travel? That's a good question, right? Like, if you had the guitarist, the lead singer, the drummer, and then the person who just plays the triangle... Are you splitting the profits 25, 25, 25, 25? Or are you going to be like, no, man, you're only getting like 10. Like, yeah. you're not getting 25% for playing in two songs. I think the, that's how bands break up. That's how bands well, break up. I actually think this is a great question to ask you. So might as well include this one. So uh, here we go. Uh, is being in a band a, a, a difficult? That's the first part of the question. Secondly... Is it harder to keep it sustainable for more than a decade? Because most bands uh, during their first runs do not stay together that long. I don't know. I mean, I've never been in a band is the short answer to your question. Like, I've never been in a band, so I don't really know. But I th- I, the only thing that I could say to that is, like, I have this theory that essentially any band, no matter how good they are, really only has, like, one and a half albums. You've got the one that introduces you and that might be your best or it might be lead up to the next album that is really good. I think that they only have like one and a half good albums. And then it's kind of like, maybe you'll get a song out of that album. (laughs) But name me like the musical, the band that's like, man, that whole, they've got three good albums. Uh, I mean, but see, it's going to be up for such debate, though. That's a thing, because music is, you know, you like music or you don't like music. So, like, I could say, like, okay, I'll say one band to your point. Hootie and the Blowfish, right? I think they only That's really had... That's who you're going to fucking choose is Hootie and the Blowfish? Well, 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 for one band that had, like, one record. and then, Oh, yeah, I see what you're saying. Like, they had one massive record, and that was it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... I think it's easier to, yeah, to your point, I think it's easier to name bands like that than bands that had, you know, like you could say Queen. I think Queen had multiple albums that had that were successful. Um, I mean, the Eagles, even though I think the Eagles only had like five or six albums that they actually released. Um, I mean, I'd have to look at like Zeppelin. I know they had multiple albums, but I don't know how commercially successful they were. You know, it's... Yeah, I think there's far fewer of that than like one and duns, but people remember the one and duns. And then it seems like bands will use Hootie as a, as an example. Do it, tour, 10 years later they all break up and then they come back together in their 40s, 50s and 60s and make even more money because people go see them for 2 years straight. You know what I mean? Well, you get on top, right? Like, you get on top, you think that you got the world, you think that you can do whatever, then you realize that you can't, that you need other people, then you come back together later in life. It's better to be on top than on the bottom. hey Unless you're a sex robot. What if sex robots become so realistic that they can do that? Like, top, uh, you know, doggy, different Oh, positions. I don't think that we're far away from that. I don't think that we're that far away from it. I mean, in, like, a historical time period. It's not going to happen, like, next week. But I think in the next 20 years, like, we're going to be there. I can just, or I can it's just going to be virtual. I can just see the people that are listening to this that may be interested in these just, you know, immediately Googling right now sex robot companies. Yeah, man, I would invest in that. That's a good investment. <laughs> Pour all my money into sex robot companies because that's coming and that's going to be popular. Uh, all right, let's, 
another th- a theoretical question for you. Are you the kind of person you go to the gym, correct? <laughs> Can't you tell? I well, I only see you from like the neck up most days, but yeah, you're looking swole. Your hairline's great still. Um, hairline looks good. That's all that matters. Yeah, mine grows like a fucking chia pets. Anyways, uh, people that go to the gym midnight to four a.m. What what are you thinking there? Because I happen to be at the gym, which I just started re-going. Claps to myself and claps to all you people out there that are doing the same thing, trying to make yourself better physically. Um, but I happen to go late. And I got to tell you, the clientele after midnight, <laughs> it's a little weird. I mean, it's not what I thought uh, at all. A, a, lot of, a lot of hooded sweatshirts. Pretty sure I, somebody was sleeping on the calf raise machine. Like, it was, it was different. I don't really want to be at a gym between midnight and 3 a.m., right? If that's your thing, that's your thing. But if you're going to any kind of business that is not a bar or a restaurant between the hours of 12 and 3, you're going to see some interesting people that are there. I don't understand how anybody works out any other time than first than the first thing in the morning. I really don't understand how people do that. Like, I would never have the motivation to work and then go to the gym. I could never do that. I got to do it first thing in the morning, get it over with. Uh, it's, I mean, yeah. Well, and then if you have a family, if you have other responsibilities, I mean, it's practically impossible. Uh, or if you have a job, I guess, maybe if your job's like five to one or four to noon or something, like that would be the sweet spot. Get out of work, go to the gym at like 1, 1 p.m. That would be the, the sweet spot. But most of us don't have those uh, those hours. Um, yeah, anyways, that, that, that kind of shocked me because like, Hadn't been in the gym in quite a while, and uh, I was just like, oh, oh boy. Uh, the gym is a place where you can see some interesting people doing some interesting things. <laughs> okay. I got to say one more thing, and I'm going to sound really pompous here, and I'm sorry. You've been that. to the gym four days, and right now you're judging people? I used to go a lot, so I'm, I'm going I'm to play Times on have changed. But... If you weigh, let's say, over 300, 400 pounds, and all you're doing is calf raises, not sure that's the most uh, you know, workout that you should be doing. But no one says anything, and I just don't get it. You know, but I guess they're there, right? That's the important part, as my wife scolded me about. They're there. Yeah, dude, they're there. So. They're doing something that's better than nothing. I mean, maybe it's not the best use of their time. Maybe they could be doing something else, but it's better than nothing. Do something. Well, get some big ass calves, man. Yeah, Start with like, maybe they're just starting with the low body, working all the way up. They're gonna get huge calves, and then they're gonna do the rest. Anyway. I would never give anyone advice at the gym. I would never give anyone advice unless I saw like somebody doing something that was like, "Man, you're gonna hurt yourself." But no, I wouldn't even do that then. Yeah, I don't I- think that I would see anybody. If somebody was doing the bench press with 225 pounds, lifting it up and then dropping it on their chest, just straight dropping it on themselves, I don't think I would be like, I don't think that's how you do that. I still wouldn't yeah. say anything. Be like, well, maybe you're doing something I don't know about. Maybe um, you're training I mean, for something else, getting punched in the chest. If that was happening, yes, I would go over and help. Um, or if someone looked like they were you know, struggling or about to drop you know, a barbell or weights or something. Well, yeah, if they were in danger, sure. but if they were doing that on purpose, I don't... But, you know, I, the, the, one of the greatest inventions of the last 50 years, the, the AirPod, now allows me to basically just block out all noise. 
and listen to loud music and I don't have to worry about anything else. It's the best. I don't, I think I might be. I'm, I'm going to say this. I might be the only person that I know or have ever seen that works out regularly and does not listen to music. I mean, I don't I, bring anything to do. I don't listen to anything. And if I'm, I'm on like an elliptical machine, I don't watch TV. That that is like you have no you, you have no other stimulus other than doing the like if you're on the elliptical, like that's probably the most boring. It's great, by the way. Listen, I'm not saying if you're doing it fantastic for you, but that's boring. Like how how do you stay motivated? I completely zone out. Completely just, and totally zone out. You're just pumping the legs and the arms and that's it, huh? I literally stare at the numbers. <laughs> I can completely zone out. Like, I, I, I usually take off like a sweatshirt or like or something, and I'll I'll put it on. I actually cover the display because mm. like if if I look and I'm already panting, which happens as soon as I start going, I'm like I have 29 minutes left. Like what the hell the hell? So yeah, I you covered gotta, up. You got to embrace the suck. I embrace the suck. <laughs> I don't I'm not want here to. to be happy. Now, listen, I'm proud of you for going. You can see it. Your traps look great. Been lifting. That's all I do. Straight <laughs> traps. 75 sets a week of traps. Okay, <laughs> we're not talking about what you talked about weather in your fucking house last episode. And now you're just trying to talk about the gym. I mean, we can talk about the weather if we want. We got our first snow finally in Michigan. Oh, God, let's go. Fucking about time. Let's go on to our top five. So our top five is popular things we have no interest in doing. What's your number five? K-pop. Oh, I don't even know what that is. I mean, essentially it stands for Korean pop, right? And it's 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 not really that new. K-pop's new, but like the... How do I say this? I was sounding like a complete nimrod. Other Other countries other societies cultures whatever always emulate and americans have done it the same right like when the backstreet boys and sync were popular you had the great britain do it right with spice girls and b2k it's not it's not new to try to emulate those type of things but man k-pop to me like i just i just i i i don't care like if it never existed I think it's. I just don't think it's good music and and whatnot. But it's it's not made for us, right? It's made for teenagers. And mm. but yeah, have no interest. Could care less. Never will willfully listen to a second of it. I can't think of a single song or person or anything like that. I know that there's some really famous band that's out there that they're talking about, but I have no idea who it is. My number five is bungee jumping. I have no desire to ever go bungee jumping. And I've been skydiving, but no desire to go bungee jumping whatsoever. Yeah, so my number four actually is skydiving. So kind of along the same lines. I have no desire. I have no desire to do either, to be honest. But I really have no desire to ever go skydiving. I could go skydiving one more time, maybe. But bungee jumping, I'm just like, no interest in that whatsoever. None. My number four is going to a football game. I have no desire to go to a football game. It looks like why would I ever go there when I can just watch this on TV? I don't I don't understand that at all. 
Uh, I don't, I don't necessarily agree. I, I understand what you're saying. I don't agree with it. I think that, you know, it, it all, there's a couple factors. If you're a fan of the team being live and in person uh, or to an actual live event with 80,000 other of people that agree with you and uh, atmosphere is insane. I also think if you're a sports fan, you need to attend a live event, at least one of them for the sports you care about because live sports are pretty awesome. I can see going to the atmosphere. I've enjoyed that. Like I've lived in a city where they had a Super Bowl and I've gone down to like the Super Bowl festivities. But as far as like going into the and watching the actual game, Mm -hmm. like why would I go to the game? I could just watch it on TV. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's the same thing for like me and wrestling events. Watching it on TV is much better than sitting 500 feet away. But it's, you know, it's. It's the ambiance, right? It's the crowd. It's everything else. Uh, my number three, going to like a beer festival. Mm. Solely, for yeah. the pur- solely for the purpose of I don't want to wait in line for beers. And all the beers I, I go there to try are already gone. So I don't, it's just, it's, it's just not, it's not good. I never want to do it. My number three is along those lines. It's farmer's markets. I don't know why people go to farmer's markets. It's not that good. It's overpriced. It's just like, what's the fun about this? I don't understand why like, oh, let's get this. Why? You could go to the grocery store and get something that's probably better for a third of the price. Like farmer's markets boggle my mind. Yeah, there's, def- there's definitely something about, you know, the boom of the farmer's market. I mean, they're everywhere now. And you go and it's the same thing. It's crowded. It's the the same product. It's just, yeah, yeah, no good, no good, no bueno. Okay, it's your number two. I think this one's gonna bother you, but I put it on the list not to bother you. But this is how I feel. Uh, I have absolutely no desire to go skiing or to snowboard. I have no desire to do anything like that. Hmm. I can understand it. Like I can understand it a little bit. But I, it is I have fun. No, I have no issue with, I'll stand outside and drink a beer or hot chocolate or something while other people do it. But I, I, I just, I don't think I would enjoy doing it. I go skiboarding or skiboarding. I go skiing or snowboarding probably once, maybe twice a year. It's kind of cool to be outside doing it, but I can't honestly say that it, like that was really fun. Because there's just too much, like, I'm not good enough at it that I can really enjoy it. I'm just slightly uncomfortable the whole time. So I can see why you would say that. Well, thank you. My number two is celebrities. I have no interest in celebrities' lives. Like, I can understand why they would get interviewed or why people would want to hear them talk about their craft. But why we ask celebrities or care what celebrities think about, like, world economic policy just boggles my mind. Like, why are we asking these people questions about things they have nothing about? They have no connection to our lives. Like, what is the wealthiest, richest, famous people in the world? What kind of insight do they have to offer you that can, like, oh, yeah, they're nothing like you? I don't know why we talk to them. I know I've said this on here before, but... I will never forget when the pandemic started and Justin Timberlake was quoted as saying, man, this 24-7 parenting thing is hard. That's why I don't understand. I don't understand why we ask them questions about life. 
They have no connection to real life and have no knowledge about things that they get asked about. Like, I don't I don't get that at all. Like, what does this person think about this? Do they know anything about it? No. Yeah, right. It's or yeah, or if, uh, you know, like if this is the easiest thing to piggyback on. But like the, you know, Israel Israeli Hamas conflict, every actor, actress that, you know, was Palestinian or Israeli got the same question. How do you feel? I, I, you know, I, I don't know. I haven't, I don't have any family over there. I've never lived over there. I'm just Israeli, you know, or whatever. Like, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's, this kind of ticks a box for me because it's everything, man, from politics to celebrities. It's like, no one's in tune with us, right? Like no one, it's, they're just so far removed because they live that life and that's fine. They deserve it. They're celebrities, whatever. But in terms of their opinions, yeah, they don't, they, they they mean so much to everybody, but not to me. My number one is kind of along those line, lines, but I went more specific, and I said like social media influencers. My like specifically a kid named Jack Doherty. I don't know if you've heard of him. No. But like he he goes around basically trying to start fights with people, but he has these big ass security guards behind him. That you know he's I, I don't know if he's British or whatever. He's just this little guy. Um, and it's just like, like, that's what people want to see. Like, how did he ever get popular? I, I just don't, he's just the first thing that comes off the top of my head, but it's just, it's like that. Like, how is, how is that grounds to make you famous? I just don't get it. I always felt very weird about any of those kind of like influencers or things like that, where it's like a 29 year old who appeals to kids and nine to 12. Like, that's always weird to me. Like, why are you doing this? That's yeah, odd. I always yeah. felt that that was weird. Uh, my number one is coffee. I think it's disgusting. I have no interest in coffee whatsoever. It's gross. It's expensive. Okay. It seems like a thing that once you do it, you're in it for life. So I just have no interest in coffee or wine. Both of those are totally disgusting to me. I've actually, I, I just gave off co- uh, gave up coffee and uh I had some pretty severe headaches, to be honest with you. But I think oh yeah, caffeine's a real thing, man. That's a yeah, that's a that's that's brutal. Yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, Why did you give up coffee? Shouldn't you give up oh, other things first? All part of the physical news I received, uh, which oh, I'm gonna tell yeah. I'm gonna tell you one snippet, which will make you laugh. Um, so I got, I got full panels done, and if you've ever had a physical, you know what that means. So I won't tell you, but. Um, the doctor, and she's our age, she's a woman doctor, and we're talking, and she kind of made a joke about how, uh, and I don't know if, if this is right, but how white I was, right? How Caucasian I am. You are she's translucent. Like, you, she's like, do you get out? Do you ever see the sun? I'm like, the sun hasn't been out in two fucking months here. <laughs> so anyways, she does a vitamin D test on me. My levels for vitamin D... Like I don't, I, you're supposed to be between like maybe let's say fifty and a hundred. I was at a four. Oh God! Yeah, I you am had like a problem. Yeah, I am in the ex- like it, it literally says extreme deficiency category. Like, yeah. So not only you know, <laughs> not only do I have a bunch of issues, but like I'm a translucent vampire who's also an alcoholic apparently. So <laughs> there's that. Man, you yeah. need to get more D in your life. I need you to get you a sex robot, getting you some D in there. Oh, okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, subscribe, 
Leave us a quick review. Doesn't have to be a big thing. Just a couple of quick words really helps us out. And let us know what you think are some popular things that you just you just don't have any interest in doing. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.